Greetings, God's beloved. Thanks for listening to Messages of Hope, the sermon podcast from Living Hope Lutheran Church in downtown Las Vegas. Our preacher today is Pastor Matt Metavellis, preaching on the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verses 1 through 42. It's the story of the woman at the well and Jesus. Thanks for listening. God bless you. The Holy Gospel according to John, chapter 4. Glory to you. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard Jesus is making and baptizing more disciples than John, although it was not Jesus himself but his disciples who baptized, he left Judea and started back to Galilee, but he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us the well, and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up into eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming back here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband, for you have five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ, When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I'm he, the one who is speaking to you. Just then the disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman, but no one said, what do you want or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I've ever done. He can't be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. 
So the disciples said to one another, Surely no one has brought him something to eat. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to complete his work. Do you not say four months more and then comes the harvest? But I tell you, look around you and see how the fields are ripe for harvesting. The reaper is already receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I've ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we've heard for ourselves. And we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. The Gospel of the Lord. You may remain seated, but hopefully stay awake. So this week I uh, continued in my work as a hospice chaplain, and I uh, have a new patient. I called his daughter, and I said, is it okay if I uh, stop by the facility where your dad is and pay him a visit? And she went, yes, he's very religious. Uh, He's Lutheran. And I went, okay, well, I will be home base for him. Uh, because I'm a Lutheran pastor. It should go pretty well, I hope. And she went, oh, it'll go great. He's really suffering, but he's never going to tell you. And sure enough, sure enough, uh, I went and saw him. He was pleasant. He was all smiles. He told me lots of stories. But do you ever get the sense that you're talking to someone, and maybe it's just me? You're talking to someone and they really don't want to be talking to you, so they're just being super, super nice to you, hoping that the interaction will end, right? If you've done that to people, that's okay, right? If you've had that done to you, I don't know, maybe it's just me. But so I uh, found out that he was a veteran and, and uh, I, I, I said, okay, uh, you know, moral injury, quote unquote. I don't know if you've heard of this. It's a really big thing. Uh, right now in healthcare, that if anybody says they're a veteran, you have to ask now, uh, have you had a chance to talk about or process your experiences? And he said, I do not talk about or process my experiences in Vietnam. Thank you very much, which is certainly his right. And it was weird because it was one of those interactions where on paper, on the surface, it was a pretty good interaction. He liked having a prayer. He liked that I was Lutheran, but I could tell that there was so much more under the surface that I should be getting to. And I don't know if it's just because his daughter said that or sometimes you can just tell, right? How many times have you not been doing fine and you're walking by and someone says, how are you? And you go, like, living the dream, does anyone still say that? Or uh, I'm doing great. Or, you know, my dad, when he was dying of cancer, used to mess with people and say, I'm doing amazing except dying from cancer. Um, (laughs) So... (laughs) Uh, you know, it was one of those interactions where I got to know a person, but what I really wanted to know, and not just because it was my job, but I really wanted to know what he was carrying. What were the burdens 
that he was afraid of uncovering. If you'll allow me, wanted to know what was in his bucket. Now, I think, and maybe it's just all the uh, Jungian psychology that I use in my chaplaincy, I think that all of us have two parts to us. The part that we present to the world, and then the part that maybe we don't present to the world. At Leadership Lab, I hope I, am I spoiling it if I say what they do in one, uh, all right, yeah. So in Leadership Lab, yeah, yeah, exactly. At Leadership Lab that our youth go to, they do an event, uh, I don't know exactly what it's called, but they take one of those theatrical masks and they decorate one side with the side that they show to the world and then the other side is the stuff they keep them to themselves, the stuff that's on the inside. I love Carl Jung because he said that's your shadow self, right? This is the self that you don't reveal, that has all the ambitions, all the stuff that has made you who you are, all the experiences that maybe don't, you don't talk about, all of your suffering, all of the longings, right? Everybody, I think, carries their shadow self in this little bucket. And um, I think it's fitting that I've used this to hold diapers. But so um, anyway, don't don't. If I were to offer you a drink of water out of this, don't take it. And I cleaned the bathroom with this, so I knew I, I knew where it was. Everybody has this bucket that they're carrying. I'm speaking in metaphor, so I'm going slowly just to make sure everybody's with me. Because uh, I know that's not everybody's preferred way of speaking. Shout out to as good as it gets. Uh, so in our buckets, we have three things. The first is the things that we put into the bucket because we think that's what will make us healthier or better or will make people like us or make us useful, right? The things that we put into the bucket. Then we have the things that others put into the bucket, our roles, our, our jobs, how people describe us, the things that people have said about us. And the third thing I think that goes into the bucket is suffering that we just can't let go of. Working with people in uh, all parts of the grief journey, I always talk about the bucket. When you first lose somebody, the bucket is super heavy. And then each day that you go through grief, it just gets a little bit lighter because you start getting stronger and you learn how to carry the thing. So three things go into your bucket. The things that you put there, the things that others put there, and the suffering that gets shoved in there. And, and no matter what happens, you have to carry it. And, and to illustrate that, I thought I would uh, reveal the contents of my bucket for you. Uh, first, uh, not that this would shock you, these are the things that I put into my bucket because I think that uh, it makes me useful, not really, it just kind of makes me a person you don't want to talk to too much uh, at, a, at a conference gathering. Uh, this is uh, one of my favorite books. It's Alistair McGrath's History of the Doctrine of Justification. It has a Latin title, so it's very, it's uh, Justitia Dei, right? It looks very fancy. It's the kind of thing that uh, I like to have uh, on my shelf. Uh, right there. More readable than you 
Yeah, he is. He is. But the Latin title looks looks very intimidating. Yeah. So so this is. I always I always try to fill my my bucket up with with knowledge. Not that I'll ever be a 40 day champion on Jeopardy or anything like that. But I always like having the knowledge. And and sometimes if I'm in a room and somebody knows something that I don't, I get just a little bit uh, uncomfortable. It's a little bit like the uh, business card scene in uh, American Psycho, where uh, if somebody knows something that I don't, I go, oh my gosh, I've got I've to learn that and then everything else about that, so I'm never caught in this way again. So that's, that's one part of my bucket. Second part of my bucket, these were uh, my birthday and Father's Day gifts from Noah. And your bucket isn't always bad, right? But this is also something I carry around, this title of, of, of father. Probably being a little bit of a nerd, too, because no one knew I would love both of these things, and I do. And then the third thing that's in my bucket are the pills that I take every morning and every night. I don't know how well they work until I stop taking them. And these are the pills that I take to control my out-of-control anxiety and my depression. When I screw up and I don't take these, I tend to psychologically crash, and I think terrible things are going to happen to me and my family, or I get so depressed that I don't want to join in any kind of activity. I kind of either just want to stay in bed and uh, you know maybe uh, just kind of go drink and smoke away from people somewhere. Uh, this is part of what I carry in my bucket. So these are the three things, and I know um, a good exercise, I won't make you do it out loud, but a, but a good exercise, a good self-inventory exercise is to say, what are these things in my bucket that I'm carrying? What do, am I always trying to put in my bucket, right? Is the, the P90X was the big thing, right? Is it the constant exercise? Is it the diet? Is it whatever it is that I think is going to make me lovable and valuable? Uh, what are the things that people have placed in my bucket? And what are the things that life has placed in my bucket that have just been too hard? Once you start knowing what's in here, I think it does get a little bit easier to carry. So our buckets, I think, define us. They shape us, right? Sometimes your bucket is just a little too full to do certain things, and you go, oh, man, not today, right? I've got, uh, man, I've, I've definitely had, uh, everybody knows um, that I work with uh, what patients will trigger me. And so they always, they, they always say, Matt, hey, maybe you shouldn't go there today if you're having a rough day. I'll, I'll just let them know uh, that you can't make it this week. Um, and I appreciate that, right? But I'm sure you guys have those interactions where you're like, ah, my bucket is too full. Nobody can add extra stuff to this this week, right? Uh, I was listening to Conan O'Brien recently on his podcast, and he said when he would interview celebrities, sometimes right before the show, his assistant would say, okay, I just got a call from the celebrity's publicist. You can't talk about this crazy random thing. And it was something usually that he didn't know about, and so he would sit there through the whole interview just thinking about that thing that he just didn't find out because these celebrities were terrified that somebody would find out what's in their bucket. And so they were having their publicists tell people, oh, you, you, know, you can't talk about you know, all the frozen kittens that Al Pacino keeps in his freezer. Um, and uh, it, you know, it's just really interesting. And, and this is why I love chaplaincy, 
Because not only do I get to meet people, but it is my job to find out what is in their bucket. Some people will pour it right out on me, and some, just like the patient I had this week, will, will hide it and say, hey, that's not for you. I don't want you looking at that. I'm going to die with my cold, dead hands on that bucket. And this is why I love the story of the woman at the well so much. I promised I would get here. This woman is carrying so many things. What I love about her is that even though she is a Samaritan who they do not get along with Jews, and this is a story probably being written by a Jew, she is a proud Samaritan woman. She doesn't back down from her beliefs or her heritage. She knows the story. She knows about Jacob giving that well. She knows the story of her people. She knows the promises that God had given to her people, that a, uh, the, the Semitic word was a tahib, not Messiah, by the way, a tahib who would come and kind of be like a modern rabbi, who would come and explain all these intricacies of the law, not the, uh, not the warrior king that the Jews imagined. So when Jesus was starting to be really perceptive and telling her about stuff in her life, she went, oh my God, this must be the Tahib. Look how well he knows the law. Look how well he knows about my life. But I think she also was carrying a lot of cultural baggage. I read this story and I think maybe she was just a little bit afraid of Jesus, this wandering holy man who walked around with a group of 12 other Jewish men who just happened to be in Samaria. And uh, I just uncovered this fact in my research this week. You know that the high priest in Jerusalem went actually to Mount Gerizim and burned the Samaritan temple in 128. Uh, so within kind of like the same, almost the same distance between us and the Civil War would be the distance between this war between the Jews and the Samaritans. And man, would she have remembered that? Wouldn't she have just been a little bit afraid? And then... She carries probably some of the worst personal baggage that you can carry in the ancient world. She's a woman who has lost four husbands and is with another one, right? This woman in this community, despite how much pride she has in this community, she's for some reason an outcast. She had, in this patriarchal society, she had nobody taking care of her. And whoever was taking care of her could have been a relative of, of one of her husbands, and it really wouldn't have been a, a, a love marriage at all. And I'm, I'm just speculating here. But what I do see in this poor woman is that she has no community. Because if you were going to go to the well to get the water that you needed for the day, right, how many of you are like uh, in the middle of summer like, well, it's, uh, it's 1.30 p.m. I think I'll go out and do some yard work right now, right? This is this woman, and she's doing it. Why? Because there's nobody else at the well to bug her, right? Either to bug her or to shun her. I'm speculating. But this is a woman who has a very, very heavy bucket. And I love how Jesus disarms her. The first thing he does is he says to her, give me a drink. 
Now, you might hear that and go, okay, there's a patriarchal society. There's a male-dominated society being male-dominated again. Jesus is telling her and ordering her around and telling her to do things. But look what he's saying. You're a person. You can help me. I see you. You have agency. Right? It is respect. And also, Middle Eastern culture is still this way. It works on a gift exchange basis. So if I help you, you then can help me. So in a way, what Jesus could be seen to be doing is saying, hey, give me a drink. Because once I take a drink from you, you can then ask something from me. Maybe this is what he is hope, what he hopes will be happening because all she can do is talk about what's in her bucket, talk about that baggage of, of ethnic conflict and religious warfare. That's all she can ask about. Like, hey, this doesn't happen. What's going on? Right? But Jesus said, man, if you only knew <laughs> who just asked you for a drink, I could give you something back that is so much better. And listen to what he says. God wants to give it. All she has to do is ask. He wants to give it. This is something about God that we have forgotten. I don't know whether we blame capitalism or or what we blame in our brains, that we think God does not want to give us things when we ask for them. I've sat with so many people who say, I can't pray. It would be hypocritical for me to pray right now because I haven't been a good person. Well, I shouldn't be asking God for anything. And I'm like, man, you don't know. God's nuts. God doesn't care who you are. God just wants to give things. And God wants to give this woman water so good that she will drink from it and not go thirsty again and she does ask for it and the reason that she does is not because and she's sharp she asks for it before she figures out or she hears who Jesus is she asks for it because she says you know what hauling around this bucket really sucks I'm tired of it I'm sorry if I, I know that's maybe a word you Shouldn't say at church, but anyway, that's what I think in my translation. That's what I think that she would have said to him. She's tired of her bucket. She doesn't want to carry it anymore. She wants to be free. And when Jesus says, in the very same words that were told to Moses in the bush, it's me. I am. When she realizes it, aha, you're awake. She drops her bucket. This is this is this is where my 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 uh, education in in languages and why you should take Greek. It says in the text that she left her bucket and ran. Do you know that that same word aphiemi? That means leave is the same word that's used for when God forgives sins. So that little detail about the woman dropping her bucket means that just 
from hearing from Jesus who she is, who he is, and who she is, and the living water that is hers because God wants to give it to her. Jew Samaritan who doesn't care wants her to have this water. When she realizes it, she drops that bucket and in total freedom, she runs to tell all of the people who threw her out. And you can almost tell in this story, oh my gosh, uh, this woman is now nuts uh, because she thinks that she is talking to the Messiah. They don't believe her at first until they go and talk to Jesus and go, okay, yeah, well, okay, she was right. Wow, all right. They're stunned. But, but she drops her bucket and then she goes and tells people, I know where good water is. You don't have to carry this stuff anymore. We're a people, again, we are not defined by how much the Jews hate us. God is here. The Messiah is here. That is this story. It's our story, too. I look back in my life in places before I really heard the gospel, or even times after I heard the gospel, where I needed to hear it again, and I just hear Jesus saying, if you only knew who it was that was with you as you were chain-smoking your second pack. If you only knew who was with you and who wanted to give you that living water. Who, As a matter of fact, as I told the young people today, who did give you that water. You wouldn't be carrying that anymore. You'd be free. And the greatest line about this is actually from a, a, a Sufi mystic, Rumi. Uh, he, he wrote a poem uh, where he said, There's a fountain inside you. Don't walk around with an empty bucket. You have all the life you need. Don't go milking others. You have a channel into the ocean." And yet you ask for water in a little pool, right? Our shadow selves, this is not where we get our life. This is not what defines us. Instead, our story is this woman's story. It is the story of the God who saw us, a God who came to be with us, sometimes in our neighbors, sometimes in that person who told you and meant it that God loves you, even after they saw what was in your bucket and went, hey man, I've seen a lot worse. Right? This is a lot of pastors, by the way. Sometimes people are terrified. I know you get a lot of confessions in here during the week. Right? And people are terrified and they tell you something that you, that you think is so terrible and you're like, man, I've, I've heard worse. <laughs> right? right? That's who God is. And, and you know what happens when you finally drop your bucket? You go from carrying water to becoming living water. And this woman filled a place that was full of hostility and anger and rejection as I think people only in those kind of communities that have suffered at the hands of other communities like that could understand, she went from becoming living water in this community and becoming the very harvest of God. So much so that Jesus called his disciples and said, hey, guess what? You guys aren't the stars. Look, look what I'm going to give you. 
Look at these. Look at look at the harvest that is coming. Look at the people that are coming here. And man, I after I heard about Dennis's passing, I could not think about anything else except. Well, one, he still owes me because we went to Heidelberg Cafe and he stuck me with a very sizable bill, but it was a good time. (laughs) (laughs) I'm collecting, Dennis. And two, I thought of all the other saints in here who we miss, who were living water. I don't want to name names because I don't want to forget anybody, but you know who these people are, right? Maybe some of these saints welcomed you here, right? Maybe you just heard the stories like so many of you did after Dennis's passing, right? Those people became living water, and they're still here. We're still swimming in it. And you know what? This water is warm. There are other people that need to be here, right? I, uh, I I almost want to just stand at the door and, and uh, I, I do a bucket check. What's in your bucket? Just throw it out there. You don't need it, right? Other people need to be here in this living water. It's God's love. It's God's justice. It's God's peace. And it is God's very presence in this world and in our lives. So let's drop our buckets. Amen.